You're listening to the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Understanding the feminine cross-dressing experience. I'm Savannah Hawk, dual gender male to female crossdresser, LGBTQ plus advocate, TEDx speaker, and author of the Living with Crossdressing book series. And I'm Julie Rubenstein, proud ally and co-founder of FoxandHanger.com, a feminine styling and life coaching service for cross-dressers and transgender women. Hi, Savannah. Hey, Julie. How are you today? I am good. I'm doing well. Um, the audience doesn't know this, but you know this. I've been working really hard on trying to find some some tickets, some flights to have our special reunion so that the two of us can finally meet and I get to meet Judy and see Kate. And it's, as you know, causing me a lot of angst, but I will make action on this, mm-hmm. on this dream. It will happen. So yes, that's cause... what's been kind of taken over. Okay. Well, I will tell you this, the idea that uh, meeting you in person is a dream because it's never happened yes. before in how long have we been talking and doing like almost two years? Oh, that's crazy. It is. It's crazy to know that we've had a fantastic and evolving relationship, especially when it comes to just being, you know, two people who met on a podcast for somebody else yeah, and then becoming like, let's do something together. Yay. We're besties. And here we are 80 some episodes in to a podcast that we created together in 70 countries, helping people along the way. It's it's kind of an amazing journey that we've had together. It is an amazing journey. And I feel like we're a part of this collective feeling of connectivity and relationships that kind of formed during a pandemic and are mm-hmm. still kind of thriving during a pandemic. And yeah, I I don't really know where we are in terms of things are better, things are not better, things are getting worse. But I do know that for me personally, whenever I approach kind of a goal or a dream that I really, really want, I have all this angst and behave like a bratty, I was going to say 10, but it's even younger. (laughs) It's like a bratty five-year-old that just wants her needs to be met Mm. instantly and is super impatient and just you know, add, add a, a heaping dose of teenage angst, you know, the world is conspiring against me. Mm. So I think that as soon as everything is kind of signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, um, that I will feel a lot better. But other than that, I am doing great today. And I'm doing especially great because yesterday we put out or I put out a graphic on our Fox and the Phoenix Instagram mm-hmm. you did. for a topic that you had actually brought as a good one. And that's individuals coming out of the closet after 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I created a graphic on our, the Fox and the Phoenix podcast underscore our Instagram. And it says coming out after 50, let's discuss And so I kind of created it, if you recall, later in the evening. And I woke up and it was just like, pow. It was like bombarded with so many people that had so much to say about it. And it really struck a nerve in a lot of different people's individual cross-dressing stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as of now, we have 42 comments, you know, and it's just it just shows you that once you strike a chord, once you have a topic that feels like something that's bigger than just you and I, getting that kind of feedback just validates it tenfold. And it really creates these beautiful fleshed out episodes or knock on wood. And I have a, a psychic feeling that this will be a really beautiful fleshed out episode because we have so many listeners, so many people that are part of the Fox and the Phoenix community that are like, this is me. Mm-hmm. This is me. This mm-hmm. is me. Yes. So I'm excited to hop right into this topic. And I would love you to join me as we kind of pull apart individual stories and just discuss it and bring it, bring it to the forefront. Sure. 
Absolutely. But, you know, before we go on, uh, in, in honor of this episode, um, I am wearing white under underneath all of this. And um, what I did is I pulled out like a very classic bra. That's kind mm. of like that Jane Russell, like in the 80s when it went with, you couldn't show a bra on a person. You had to show it on a mannequin stand back ah. back before the censorship was like, you can't show that on a woman. That's, you know, pornographic. So right. I am wearing something that I, when I put it on, it's been in my drawer. I think we've got a garage sale. It was brand new. You know, that somebody never wore. And I said, oh, I'm wearing white. So let me wear a white bra too. And I put it on and I'm like, wow, this really takes me back to an era before like I was really deeply entrenched in a full head to toe experience. And so I thought it was kind of appropriate to this episode because it is something that harkens back to my childhood, harkens back yeah. to a, a different era of like, oh, wow, that's very retro. That's very, you know, has a 50s, 60s vibe to it. You know, like what my mom used to wear. I thought about it. And I think it's just one of those things where I think a lot of us can relate because we either have seen our mothers at a glance wearing this type of bra, or right. we've seen it in the laundry after it's been in the laundry and is being folded. So it harkens back to a younger age where we may not have been out, but we appreciated what we were seeing. And it just leads me to this conversation of knowing that when you're young, but not embodying that until you're older. Right. Right. And if you think about it really closely and based on your and my journey together, mm-hmm. I really didn't take on a public, public, broad daylight persona until the last couple of years. And that would be like in my late forties. So while I was in New York in my twenties and in my thirties, going to the club and then the roller coaster going back in the closet in like my thirties to like early forties, maybe late thirties. And then like rediscovering myself, but only under the cover night, you know, in my early forties before I moved from Long Island, New York to South Carolina. And mm-hmm. now as I hit my late forties, oh, I'm over 50. Um, <laughs> Wait, we did hear that. I did hear that. Okay. Let me say it again. Now that I'm over 50. Over um, 50? Over 50. Yeah. 50 and change actually coming up on 51 in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, even I could kind of say that the journey you and I've had together is my coming out later in life. Even though it's not 50, it is later. It is, I took a completely different turn when it came to, well, you know, I just go out to the clubs, you know, once it gets dark, it's 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, I feel more protected by the cover of night versus, you know, the, you know how the broad daylight can be very, very um, revealing. Right. Exposing. <laughs> right. And exposing and revealing yeah. to how you really look in the world. Um and just taking that leap, taking that leap in the last couple of years to say, no, I, I think it's more important for me to go to a coffee shop at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, waiting for the church crowd to come in versus like, I need to go to the club. I'm actually trying to break out of that, that stigma of it's only okay if you're with people doing the exact same thing you're doing versus like, no, I'm just going to live in the world and be me. And I think some of what we're going to talk about today is going to be about the I finally realized it's important to just be me. Yeah, I, I think that I have a couple of thoughts that came to me as as I'm listening to you. One is that you have a very unique approach to your coming of age story, um, your cross-dressing coming of age story, because you literally kind of wrote yourself out of the closet. Like you literally wrote your story in terms of where you wish to present yourself and how you wish to show up in the world. And that is as a teacher, as an advocate, as someone who, like us, created a creative platform for kind of figuring all this stuff out and, and using your individual story and your, your desire to be out in the world as an investigative tool. Like you just, you found a bunch of couples and and you wanted to learn more and you talked about where you were and how hard it was to just go to the supermarket and you put on blast your individual story so that others can realize who they were through your story. Mm -hmm. 
I think that this is a really unique way to approach it because it's almost like as soon as you come out, bam, you're an advocate. <laughs> bam, you have a book with yourself on the cover. You have a podcast. So you're kind of coming into 50 has been really, really unique, yet it is kind of average when you think about 50 and the 50s era of, as being kind of a superpower for realizing that this is the time where you can look at yourself and you can create an entirely different manuscript for who you are and how you wish to be for your world, for your life, for your existence moving forward. Currently, I'm watching the second installment or let's say the the rebirth of the Sex and the City series. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing. At first I was brutally offended by everything. You know, I, I've been a tried and true kind of sex in the city fan. So things kind of rub me the wrong way. And my internal, you know, younger self was just like, no, you know, this isn't right. And this isn't right. And, but what I'm learning is these women are, I think they're 53, 54. Okay. And what, the theme that keeps on going over and over and over again is that the fifties are a chance to rewrite the story, mm -hmm. to not just rewrite the story, but to say, this is who I truly am and to live for a very long time after that point as your authentic true self. And so when gearing up for this episode, I couldn't help but think about the ladies of sex and the city that the actors playing them are very much you know, much older than, than they are back in their younger days and just figuring out stuff like Miranda's figuring out that she's really a lesbian or that mm. she's fallen in love with a non-binary individual that, you know, just going on that specific journey and saying that there is so much more time to live as this authentic person, to live as that person that you've kind of been hiding away. Yeah. So when we put this kind of call to action, this graphic on Instagram, it was both astounding and relatable that people were just like at this point of their life where they're like, yes, this is who I am, or this is when I came out and this is why. So I would love to just jump right into all of the delicious comments mm, and really. just see where we land. Please. This episode. Absolutely. Go to it, girl. So we had a listener say, what a great idea for a discussion and thanks so much for prompting it. I started on my transition journey about a year ago. I was at the tail end of 50. Then I'm about to turn 52 in March. So far, my 50s have been the best decade yet. In many ways, I feel like I'm reborn and I'm experiencing things for the first time. I feel younger than I did when I was in my 30s and I never, never felt more myself. On one hand, I regret not having the strength and courage to do all this sooner. But on the other, I think this is just how it happened for me. At any rate, why question? We all get there in our own time and that's the important thing. Life is definitely too short not to let your authentic self shine. Mm. Mm. I love that. I do Life too. is definitely too short not to let your authentic self shine. Yeah, that, there's a there's a lot in that to unpack too. By the way, yeah, um, you know, we talked. To, you know, I've said it before as well. I'll just I'll just harken on a couple of the key points that I heard from that, which is a little bit of regret. You know, regret is like, I wish now that I know what life is like as my authentic self, why didn't I do it sooner? Can you have that kind of nostalgic regret of time lost? It's like, what if I would have done this at 30? Oh my God, my life would be so different. But that being said, it turned out the way it turned out because maybe this was the moment that you were most ready for it. You know, maybe it took being 50, 51 very similar to my own story. It took this long for me to be ready to capture that authenticity in a way differently than I had before. Now, whether it's denial or whether it's you just not ready for it, you have maybe a lot of fear and shame and all these other emotions that kind of keep you stagnated where you are. You know, this listener is saying, 
hey, this is my best decade yet. You know, I finally realized that this is where I need to be. And I finally recognize that it's where I need to be and want to be. And it's made me very happy. So we always can look back on the past and with the regret of what if, but don't, let's not stay there. Let's not keep our feet in the past. Right. Let's keep our feet in the present and move forward with this new right. outlook. And I just, I, I love the idea that they said that they don't linger too much on that. You know, I should have, could have done that mm-hmm. sooner. Yeah. Rather, yeah. this is just my story. This is just what happened for me. And I'm okay with that. And I think that many born biologically male, they're strapped with so many responsibilities, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to getting that job, finding that wife, becoming a father, and your sole mission is to support that family. So I think that perhaps at 50, it can also be a time for maybe who knows, maybe this person had children, maybe those children were older, maybe marriage unfurled in a certain way, maybe, 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 maybe all these little (laughs) steps that got them to the point to say, this is the right time for me. Right. I think that it's really hard when your role in life is to find that white horse and to get on that white horse and to not only guard and protect, but to ride that white horse until you find that damsel in distress Mm. and to not even listen to the fact that maybe you are that damsel in distress. Like it's a bad rap, you know, midlife crisis, but I welcome everyone to think of it as a rebirth or another chance or a new way of rebirthing your cells where every single experience you have, you have you have a new chance to reinvent yourself. I think it's so important and I think it's such a magical time. And I think that often with transgender individuals, if they were to come out later in life, it must be really hard because the other end of it is this community, this family that has seen you in this particular way for so long. And it's easy to think, oh, it's just a midlife crisis. Oh, this is just a phase, right? Yes. We've heard about the phase of cross-dressing or experimentation, whether it's early in life, whether it's your teenage years, whether it's college. I mean, you hear that through your whole life. If it's outside the social and cultural norms, typically, if somebody doesn't want to admonish you about your behavior or your actions, they like to say for themselves to make it easier for themselves to accept Oh, Joey's just going through a phase and they're all hoping right. fingers crossed that you'll you'll wander back to the social norms right. of things. And that's sad in and of itself that we have to say, oh, it's just a phase. My sister thought I was going through a phase. Mm-hmm. I sent her I sent her pictures and a letter. Uh, this was like in the 90s, back before the interweb was all that big a deal. I said, This is who I am. And they sent back very lovely messages, both her and her husband, about supporting me. But years later, we never spoke of it, but years later, her husband was coming into town for a conference. So she decided, well, I'm going to make it a family trip and we'll go see Chuck over there. So I said, oh, well, is your son nosy? She's Mm -hmm. like, no, not really. If you tell him not to go someplace, he won't. I was like, okay, because I have all my wigs and all my clothes in a room upstairs and I don't want to have to lock it and make it more strange for the visit. And he's like, oh, you're still doing that? So even she thought it was a phase um, that I was going to grow out of, quote unquote, although I was a fully grown man at that point. So the idea, (laughs) so the idea that people constantly want to take these, these cultural, these social detours Mm -hmm. and just assume it's like, well, they'll they'll get, they'll get back on track. This is just a thing they're going through. They'll, they'll, They'll be okay. While in reality, for many of us, the social norm, like you said, of being the white knight, getting a wife, getting a house and 2.5 kids and a dog and a picket fence, all those, right. you know, be successful, get a job. All those things are cultural norms we suffocate ourselves with mm. in order to cope with the fact that we have this other part of ourselves that we're denying about, that we're ashamed about, that feels so taboo that we don't want to let anybody know that that's how we feel or that, you know, that we have this otherness to us until the midlife crisis, which I think I'm going to lovely refer to the midlife opportunity mm, as we mature. Thank you. As we mature. Mm-hmm. And as we realize, like you said, wow, I've gone so long doing quote unquote, the right thing that people expect of me 
But right. inside, I've always felt this this hole, this lacking, this thing that needs to be filled. And the thing that fulfills me and makes me most authentic is this part of my femininity that I kept bottled up for years. The idea I need to hide my transness yeah. away. All those things are like, I think once you hit a certain moment of maturity or just like I've had enoughness, it's like, I'm 50. God damn it. It's like, I've had enough. I want to be me. I want to be happy for once. And there's usually a trigger, some sort of trauma that puts you mm-hmm. into that. Why am I waiting? It's like, this is the moment because of what just transpired or what just popped into my head, or maybe there was a death in the family or maybe, which I've heard that story. Uh, somebody's dog died, was right. hit by a car. So unfortunate. And they love this animal. And that was a catalyst for them. This death of somebody I love, it's so tragic and so untimely. And it's making me realize that we don't have an infinity on this earth to be who we need to be. Right. Or I got super sick and they weren't sure. I heard people around me talking and they weren't sure how long I'd have to live. And I said a little prayer to myself and I said, you know, if I get through this, I'm going to live authentically. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many reasons why people wait or don't wait or kind of come into themselves than it just in all these different profound ways. Um, I just, I just think it's, it's amazing. And I, I have another comment from a listener that says, most of us who are older, 72 years old, were pre-internet kids. And whether we knew it or not, I did, or didn't, we have hid and followed a path that buried, that buried her meaning school, marriage, kids, careers, always aware, eventually no longer able to bear it. And so embarked upon a nearly impossible task of transition. And then it said, started at the age of 69 and mm. struggled to embrace our womanhood and try not to lose everything and find some support and celebration. I love it. Beautiful. Which, which basically just says it's never too late. Yeah. But also reinforces what you and I have just spoken about, which is all these stereotyped responsibilities and dynamics that we feel we're supposed to do because that's what's going to be fulfilling or make us successful or secure or loved. All those things that we we go down this very typical linear cookie cutter path. Most of us do because that's how we were raised. That's what we saw. Maybe we had a nuclear family where that was like, we wanted that nuclear family. We wanted to have, have I want to be a part of a mom, dad, and kids with, with a house and a mortgage and a full-time job. You know, those are most of our goals in life is to be that. And that defines success. Going to college defines success. You know, my parents never went to college. I'll be the first one. And you, you constantly either better the cookie cutter and give it a little more icing, or you do something maybe different because you are marching to the beat of your own drummer. And those are the people I think who are always way more authentic earlier on than some of us who just say, oh, nuclear family, house, mortgage, a good job. Okay. That's what we need to do. Right. Right. I mean, just 10 years ago, it was a rebellious act, at least for my family, how I grew up and what I saw to have just one child. And I rarely saw stuff on TV. And now I'll be watching programs with Remy and there's lots of scenarios. Some of her favorite TV shows, they have one child Mm. where she has, it's a family where they have just one daughter. So she can very much relate. So it doesn't seem strange and new, but especially in my own upbringing, my mother was like, don't you feel bad for for Alison Brown? And I'm thinking Alison Brown has all the Barbie dolls she wants. And I'm not even talking to these fuckers. You know what I mean? (laughs) My brothers. And so the desire and the need and the strength it takes to kind of step out of your pattern Mm -hmm. and step out of what you witnessed in terms of what is expected, what is normal. This listener goes on to saying, no one takes late transitioning without considerable soul searching, mourning the past in so many ways and trying hard to find some courage to undertake this daunting change, which is why many don't make it. Mm-hmm. That's true too. It's very true too. Um, yeah. Well, I just want to step back because as you were telling your story about the one child, and that's from your perspective and the mm-hmm. want of a child or, or more or whatever the case may be, that it was unheard of to have less than, you know, got to have more than one child. 
They gotta have siblings. Gotta have siblings. Gotta have somebody to play with. Right. Um, for me, <laughs> it took a whole different tack on a very personal level. I have a brother who's autistic who will never marry, never sire children. I have one older sister who obviously took the name, the Mary name. So my legacy would not be fulfilled by either my sister or my brother. So mm-hmm. that all of a sudden left me in the very specific position of taking the name and give it, giving it legacy by having mm, children. Yeah. So I spent a lot of my early years, even though I was really not interested in having children at all, I didn't have a, a burning desire to be like, I need to have a child. Maybe once for a little bit, but it, it was fleeting. And I think it was around the time my sister brought home her child, where I'm like, oh, right. You're like Damn, oh my God, control. this is great. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. But for, yeah. But for me, it's like, I always have a regret that I was letting somebody down mm-hmm. by not continuing the family name in our part of the family tree. Yeah. And that would be one of those things where I felt like it was an obligation to do versus something I really wanted to do. So I will say that for my my own sake, whether it be because I didn't marry at the right time or girlfriends after that, and obviously I didn't feel comfortable having a child with a girlfriend. And now I've kind of aged out of that part of my life. And I still hold a little bit of regret that I let somebody down in my family by not right. fulfilling that. And that talks about obligation. That talks about what we're expected to do in our lives versus what we want to do in our lives. And I think I was fortunate enough to realize that by circumstance, I did end up with what I wanted out of life, which is just being happy for me, not married with kids. Um, I, I think that would have been a completely different look on my life. I'm happy I dodged that bullet, so to speak. Right. I I agree. And it doesn't really, and I think a lot of our listeners can agree with this, it doesn't really end well if you're not into it, if you're just kind of following the trajectory of what you were told to do without some sort of desire along that path. For me, like I used to joke in high school that I'm going to be Mrs. Julie and then fill in the most Jewish name possible. And so when <laughs> I I told my friends, I met Scott and I told him his last name was Rubenstein. They're all like, no, really, what's what's his last name? And I was like, Rubenstein. And they're like, no, it is not Julie, because they saw me as this like uber creative type, which I am, but someone who would not quote settle for the heteronormative, you know, (laughs) path that my parents laid out for me. Thankfully, I, I fell in love because to my point at the start of the sentence, it does not turn out well if let's say I didn't fall in love or let's mm. say I was just like so robotic or so into people pleasing that or any of us listeners that are still either not out of the closet or came out later in life. I mean, being disappointed and letting someone down, that is a huge, it, it seems like it's just kind of a fluff, like just kind of like, oh, I was afraid that I let them down, but it is huge. Yeah. It holds a huge psychic and personal weight that, that runs so deep. I mean, it runs through your ancestry. I mean, that is yeah. a huge kind of pressure to carry on the name. And so it is a giant act of rebellion to go against the expectation to do so. And just to stand up and say, you know what, that's not really for me, or that's not really how my life was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. For me, I didn't have that precedence of, I need to do a certain thing. I need to marry Lutheran. I need to, uh, well, I will tell you this. I I was definitely told I need to marry a white girl because uh, of racial issues at home. Uh, They didn't really appreciate anything non-white, non-Caucasian. So even in that way, I was kind of um, not forced to adhere to it, but definitely it was fully recommended that I keep within my faith and within my culture. Yeah. And for me, Judaism from, and still today, Judaism and spirituality, it's something that connects myself with my father. It's something that is deeply rooted in terms of morals and values, in terms of like treating each other kindly and and the world i mean if you were to there's a lot of people that convert to judaism that have a, a buddhist leaning because there is a lot of the foundations and the kindness and the tikkun olam which is caring for the earth and all that stuff is very much integrated into who i am as a human 
So there's a lot of that because there's a (laughs) lot of spiritual notes. That is something that is deep within my lineage. And culturally, it's something that speaks to my identity and I understand it and I relate to it. So it's not that's foreign to me or doesn't touch some deep chord inside my being. The humor, just just a lot of the guts of it is something that I very much relate to. And that's, and that's you, you said the most important thing. You have to relate to it. Right. Not because you've been told to relate to it, not because you've been kind of stymied into relating to it, but actually in your core being relating to it. Like I always related to my feminine side and I went through my trials and tribulations of not necessarily denying. I really never spent much time denying it. I just spent time hiding away. Mm. Like, so I never said, I'm going to give this up because people don't like it. I never did that, but I did know like for my own safety, I'm going to keep it hidden. Don't tell people even as of this week, this is new for you. I don't think I even told you this. I spoke to my boss, my new boss. And I think if we we had a conversation about my old boss, I kind of slipped the beans about Savannah and I kind of let it slip that I was on a podcast and he said, oh, what's the topic? I'm like, shit. So I felt bad. I didn't want to spin it. So I just told him. Right, uh, but right, in this right. case, I actually was sitting across from my new boss and they uh, come down every month, every six weeks. Um, they go down to the different locations and I was sitting across from him. I'm like, hey, by the way, I'm going to be taking some time off uh, next month. And uh, I said, because um, just for the listeners, I have a second TEDx, which by the time, what, this, what? What, what, by the time this episode airs will have been recorded. So I told my bosses, hey, by the way, I'm going to be in Atlanta for a TEDx. Like, a what? A TEDx? And I, and I just was went very confidently, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, saying, yeah, I do a TEDx. What's it about? Gender diversity, because I'm, I'm gender diverse. Diverse, gender diverse, hey. neurodiverse. Hey. <laughs> so They're- I just laid it out there and said, yeah, this is who I am. So point of that story is I'm really, at this stage of my life, tired in over hiding. Yeah. Because that in and of itself, every time you feel you have to hide, you just feel like it's dragging you down by a little. So I can totally understand that when people hit this age, whether it be 45, 50, 60, 70, whatever the age is, at a certain point, you're just like, you know what? Fuck this. It's, it's like, too much. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with who I am. So why yeah, do I have that's... to be? Yeah. Why do I have to be the one to hide? And I think a right. lot of- and and they're making all these lovely like neurodiverse is now what you say instead of learning disabled or special or whatever. Now it's neurodiverse and mm-hmm. and now gender diverse. I mean, it just rolls off your tongue in such a beautiful way. And I just feel like, yes, because I am gender diverse. I mean, it just came at the right, you were ripe for the conversation. Yeah. This is a new boss. There was no shame attached to it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And also speaking to the topic at hand in terms of the episode and what we're speaking about, you know, you're not 45 anymore. <laughs> you're 50 and some change. You lose fucks. That's what my therapist said. Like you don't, when you oh, hit 40, cause I thought 40 was like, well, 40, I picture it as a sexy rock climbing age. But like, the thing is, is she was explaining, like, as you grow up, you start to lose fucks. Like you start to not give a fuck what, about people's feelings and their comfort. And you start to realize that she didn't say that I did. I'm going to say it. Are you ready for it? (laughs) That as you become more and more comfortable and own your shit, you sharing in a loving way about yourself, that in turn will make the other person more comfortable and free from worry. If you approach it, this talk or this conversation from a fear-based way, it's going to make the other person feel fear. But if you own your stuff and say, yeah, because I'm gender diverse and it, or however that was going to come out, I'm a fill in the blank because you approach it so confidently, they in turn, how did they react Uh, at age 50 and change? (laughs) Well, what I'll say is I did two things. One thing was a no-no because I defended myself. Which what mm-hmm. I first thing they said was like, oh, I'm not really familiar with what that means. And I said, well, I've written a couple books and I did, you know, another TEDx and I have a podcast. So I, I threw in the accolades and the achievements. The, right. the thing I was not happy that I did is I still went back to a very defensive posture 
which was by saying, oh, but don't worry, uh, that's not going to affect how I come up to work. Like, mm. I'm not, that's not going to oh, affect yeah, yeah, me yeah. coming into work. Because I didn't want it to be like an open question or like them worrying about it. It won't affect my performance. Ah, well, I mean, if I'm in a dress, I'll be performing all right. What? Uh, uh, but I didn't want that to be like a thing in the air that I'd have to explain later. So I threw it out right. there and I probably didn't need to. And I did feel very self-conscious having to defend and say, hey, don't worry, even though I am, it's not going to affect anything I do here at work. I'm not going to show up that way. Um, right. But, so that I feel kind of not ashamed, but I didn't feel good about feeling like I had to preemptively defend myself. So Right. And this is your first go at it. I mean, it's the first time. With him, like yeah. think think about another first time we just it rolled off your tongue so confidently, and you're just like, "All right, I'm new at this." <laughs> so of course, there's going to be a little bit of apprehension, and uh, it makes sense to me that there would be one or two notes that maybe you're like, "All right, if 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 this is perfection and this is what that was, I wish I could take out, you know, maybe seven extra words, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like exactly. that word ideal." But I think that getting back to our topic, as you grow up and as you grow into this sweet spot that is your 50s, you start to become less and less concerned of protecting others, or I hope, I'm not Mm. there yet, but I hope protecting others and more and more concerned with protecting yourself and protecting your integrity and the integrity of your identity. And I can imagine it's a, it can feel like a burden, not only for yourself, but like you are kind of speaking on behalf of others that can't speak, or you are having a moment that is precious and you know that you want to get it right on behalf of other people that are in similar moments that don't get this particular moment or whatever it is. Do mm-hmm. you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I, um, if you remember during all the angst of the first TEDx, I felt like a lot of responsibility was going to fall on me because I didn't feel, I didn't know I was ever going to like have a second one. This was like, this is just an encore. Right. <laughs> but for, but for me, I always feel like there is a lot of responsibility for when I do these things, because I want to be a champion and I want to do it in a way that is easy for other people to digest. And, and I don't want to put anybody on edge. I don't want to make them feel bad or apprehensive for who I am. But yeah, you had said the perfect thing too, is like, you know, once you get to a certain age, you stop worrying about protecting the feelings of others and start start really focusing on protecting yourself and how you feel and who you are. Not protecting in a way of, I need to shield myself from you, but protecting yourself in a way is like, no, this is who I am in reality. And I am proud of who that person is. Therefore, that is all I need to be. Right. Right. And it's almost like the idea of coming out. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to learn just through being kind of a witness to the beautiful thriving garden that is this community. You can and may need to come out several times in your life, either to yourself or to your family or maybe forever. I mean, that may be something that you continue to do. I used to think of it as this one moment where you come out to yourself and then the world or, or you come out to the world and then that's it, you know, but like I have a, one of, one of the comments on the thread was I came out at 47, 53 now and still trying to find my way. Mm. So just because you come out once does not mean that you're not going to throughout your life, especially as your age, have several moments where you need to step out again and, and you dust yourself off and, and reintroduce yourself to yourself and then Mm -hmm. to the world or to a boss or to your, your kids. Yeah. I mean, how often have we started our journeys? Many of us have started our journey say, well, this is just for the bedroom. And then you have to have another coming out that says, no, I really right. want to do a more head-to-toe presentation, but only at home. And then you come out again and say, well, I really want to go out in public because it's really important to me to be seen and be part of society. Then you may <laughs> you take it further right. and be like, you know what? I really am in the wrong body and I need to transition. And this is, I really didn't realize it till, I mean, yes, evolutionary. You know, people like to think of evolution as a slow process where like, you know, the frog came up on the, on the shore and grew legs. 
No, this is not over a million years in every lifetime of our own lifetimes. We're always evolving and always should be evolving to find our absolute truth and get closer to it. Right. And um, I have another comment that says definitely at least late 40s for me, though I was dressing up one way or the other since I was a kid. I think we reach a point in life where we do something for ourselves that becomes more important. You reach a point where you feel a level of resentment for not being able to do something you enjoy that by all measures is completely harmless. You have to reach a level of maturity in life, maybe to realize that you not doing what you love only punishes you. Mm. Beautiful. Oh my God. Yes. In several words that you said, yeah, you get to a certain age, you could, you just give less fucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know it's, you know, it could be a little coarse to say it that way, but yeah, it's absolutely true. After a while, you're like, why am I worried about what everybody else thinks? And it's work. It is work. It's added work to the work that is already hard enough to be yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you get down in your meditations or you get down to, to the core and in your, in the depth of your silence and you think, who am I taking with me? Well, First of all, I have to get you out of the way, you know, the parents, the grandparents, I have to get all these people out of the way that are influencing the way I think, the way I am, and the way I show up in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I once said to a therapist that I want to see the world with my own eyes. Oof, like, I found nice just smart. looking at the world with my parents' eyes, it was stressful. It, 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 that comment or that prejudice or that reaction, it doesn't belong to me. And being able to separate what belongs to me and what belongs to my parents or what belongs to some truth I, I thought was real in the fourth grade. I mean, all that stuff needs to be removed to get to the core of who you are and what you believe now. Yeah, that's so very true. And we go through it through life all the time. No, This is not even a trans issue or a gender diverse issue. This is every one of us are indoctrinated into certain beliefs that we hold true, you know, as we're growing up and those are absolutes, but also the fact that we all kind of people, please. We all want our parents to be proud of us. Uh, We all want to do our work and be seen in a positive way. And unfortunately with gender diversity, it becomes that problem where, because we know is not mainstream, we know, or we quote unquote, believe that everybody we encounter is going to see it in a negative fashion. Therefore, we're going to be seen as less than, uh, which is true in many cases because of how people perceive us. But in reality, who is the most important person to you? You. And nobody should be taking your truth away from you because at the end of the day, when you go to sleep, it's only you and your thoughts and your dreams. When you wake up, it's only you. Yes, you have families and you have possibly children, and you have parents that maybe you're taking care of who live with you. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you continue to live for everybody else around you, unless it is a purely positive Mm -hmm. and wonderful interaction, everything gels together because you're in such harmony with those around you. At the end of the day, if you constantly live for others and don't live for yourself, you're going to have the resentment. You're going to feel like you're been missing out in life and I wish I would have, you know, like anytime you say, I wish I would have, or I wish I could, that means there's something missing. And typically it's because we put everybody else before us. Mothers do it with their kids. Spouses do it for each other where, you know, the mm-hmm. other person's needs need to be met before our own. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy. We have to have that time and need for ourselves to make us first. And I think that that's why coming into yourself as a cross-dresser, as a female, as, you know, whatever it is that's this next step, if you have all of these priorities, a husband, a wife, a child, a couple of children, a sick parent, whatever it is that weighs on your truth, it's going to have an effect on your ability to fly. A simple example if I didn't have to figure out plans for my daughter, if I wasn't in a partnership, booking a ticket on paper is very easy. Sure, I have a little bit of angst in terms of planning and stuff like that, but the responsibilities that we have to kind of move through in order to get to the core of who we are can sometimes be too much to handle. 
And I'm not talking about just a trip that you really, really want to book. I'm talking about your identity. I'm talking about your role as a father, your role as a parent, your kids being old enough. And I don't know what's right and what's wrong. I can't shame someone for needing to wait till 50 or till they retire to transition because that's what they feel like they have to do. They feel like they have to do that up until their children fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. I think at a certain point, it does become more harm than good, right? Right. Where you're just chipping away at yourself and suddenly it's affecting your ability to be a good parent, perhaps, your ability to show up for your partner, perhaps, your ability to remain sober, become an addict. You You know, at some point, all of these things... People think that you're bipolar, so you go on a bunch of meds, but really, you're really a female. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it does have the ability to kind of take its toll on you in different ways. It will manifest in different ways. So I think that this is an important discussion to have because there's wrong and there's right, and then there's what is true. And then there's what you're going to do about what is true and how you're going to compromise yourself or how you're going to dig out a little bit of an island and create a little bit of a home for yourself that is safe and good and loving. That's why when people listen to us and there's this, I I think that they're saying that I should come out to my spouse because that's what they want for us. Sure. But listen to us with the message, whatever you're doing right now to take care of yourself is good and true. Whatever you need to do to stay safe is good and true. And it's what we want for you. We just want you to stay safe and be true to you. Mm -hmm. And if that involves building a bigger closet, building a she shed, going on, you know, weekend trips, finding a meetup group, doing it underground to stay safe and good and nourish your soul and maybe not come out to your person, then do that then that is what you need to do to take care of yourself and to take care of them to come out, to be a good enough parent. I mean, our podcast is not to instruct or try to be like us. We only have our stories and are based on whatever we're discussing. So just know that if you need to wait till 50 or 50 plus to come into yourself to be this person, well, that's what you had to do for you. That was your story. And that's okay. And that's perfect. And that's good. And that's right. And that's, you know, gets double kisses from Savannah and Julie because you're taking care of yourself. Absolutely. And I will tell you that in my first book, yes, we interviewed a bunch of couples who were quote unquote living with cross-dressing. And in those relationships, the married couples that we interviewed both had 30, 40, 45 year marriages before this lifelong cross-dressing need Mm. or gender diversity need was ever discovered, ever talked about. So we're talking about a wife who's raised kids uh, with a husband who's had a good job for years and years and years, who is looking at retirement. Then you get the, I need to talk to you about X which is X dressing (laughs) Uh, on there. And it's something that is very common and is something that many of us are ill-prepared for, especially as partners. Um, I do know in one of these stories, when it was, I have something I need to tell you, the wife was, oh my God, did we lose all our money? Are we going to lose a house? Are you cheating on me? Are you dying? A myriad of things that had nothing to do with, well, I just like to wear women's clothing. But again, it goes to, you have that conversation. It goes right to the end, most dire things that could happen. And and if I I recall correctly, the wife was like, oh, so I wasn't expecting to hear that, which seemed a lot more tame than all the things I was worried was going to come out of their mouth. They've been together since I've known them. The husband did retire. And unfortunately with COVID, there was ups and downs of people living with them and, and, you know, a couple of things keeping you closeted, but they have and are always finding their balance with each other and within themselves to figure out what is my best self? What does that look like? I'm retired now. What do I do? Do I dress every day, nonstop, 24-7? Do I do it just a little bit at a time when I have the need? You know, all those things are kind of moving targets as um, both of them evolve in their partnership. 
Yeah. And I can imagine that as retirement becomes more and more a theme and as this age bracket that we're speaking of becomes your truth, I can imagine it gets really confusing in terms of having suddenly all these options. Okay. Like I don't have to go to work. Okay. Mm -hmm. I told my spouse, does that mean I want to transition? Does that mean I get to dress every day? You know, kind of redefining what that means now that you have all this space and time now that, Mm -hmm. and, and it must be really hard. I think for the significant other who, at least for me, who likes to anchor myself on a lot of different answers, they may not know. It may not be clear. And having the kind of confidence and mental awareness and grounding to say, you know, we need to be okay, or you need to be okay, or hopefully you're okay with the fact that I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) I just know that I've been suppressing this part of myself for so long. And now that it's out, I don't know what the future holds. Now, for me, as a cis female that has signed up for this heteronormative way of living within a giant queer lens, I think that it's really tricky. That's really tricky and really unsettling because I'd want my person to be like my guard and protector and my man, you know, my my person. And so for me, that would be very unsettling. And at the same time, let's workshop this bitch and start to, you know, start a podcast. You know, I, I really think, or, or let me like suck your brain and then try to understand it at some woman's retreat. Like, I, I, I just think that it, it can get really dicey and really confusing, especially when your person that you've known for so many years, suddenly at age 50, has these different ideas is oozing with all this femininity and saying, yeah. you know, I want to do all this. <laughs> right. And like in, in your, as a partner, your idea of what your retirement was going to look like all of a sudden looks completely different. It's like, wait, so I thought we were going to travel more. So am I going to be traveling with you or with your femme persona? Are right. we traveling like at I all? Thought... Are we have money because now we have to build a new closet for you and, and put a dormer on the house. Yeah, I was like, what, what right. does that look like? <laughs> so going to the nudie um, retirement community does not work for us anymore. Oh, it does, <laughs> but the tits with the because the thing is, us gals or us people, we dream of retirement being a certain way. It's this fanciful thing. I mean, for me, I, I dream of like working my ass off, doing something I love and maybe traveling, sure, sure. but like many people dream of this, just like this oasis of it looking all these different ways. And I think once it happens, it can be very different. It can be very lonely. It could be very, oh God, what do you mean? I don't have to go to work, you know, like all I have is myself. So now I'm going to sign up for all these surgeries or I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things. And then suddenly it's a significant other saying, wait, I'm 50 as well. And I want to be somewhere within your sphere. Yeah. Yeah, Do I yeah. fit in your sphere? So yeah, I know where we flip flop from the the gender diversity component to the partnership component, but it is an important thing to realize, and it is we've talked about this before, having conversations and having healthy compromise, and be open to each other about what things look like, to the point where you understand it. Yeah, like you said, I might not have. I just retired today. I don't know what the hell to do with the rest of my life. Now that I could not have to worry about dressing or uh, I don't have to worry about going to work at, you know, 5 a.m. And now I can be home all day and dress. Is that could be okay? And, you know, it's like, is that what I want to do? Do I still want to do it by myself in private? Because that's what I'm so used to. You know, it's it, the dynamics shift. You have to have conversations about it. It has to be healthy for who you are. Um, hopefully healthy for your partner as well, if they're understanding and again, maybe it's more of an underground thing where you do it by yourself because you know the home life wouldn't really tolerate it as much, I guess would be a way to put it. So you do it for yourself, but you do it to keep yourself safe. My biggest thing is always going to be being true to yourself, putting yourself first, at least a little, because mm-hmm. you are important. It's not everybody else who's more important than you. They may be as important as you, but you need to be and have that importance for yourself and be very much about you. Sometimes people think being about yourself is selfishness. And I always see being for yourself as self-fulfilling, restorative, keeping your health, keeping your balance, keeping your, your, your mind in a positive fashion. Those things are important. And I will never tell anybody that they should undermine that. That being said, whether it's an underground thing you do or do it in private or doing it in 
full openness to your partner and the world that you live in, that's your choice. Like you said, just be safe and be mindful of your own personal, physical, and mental health. Yeah. I think that finding community and finding a a therapist that specializes in gender diverse support is really important because I do know that at 50 and at 50 plus in this kind of quote last act that it's really important to know thyself really, really well so that you can take care of yourself really, really well. So then you can take care of others really, really well. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a really important topic. I think that it's no surprise our beautiful listeners had lots to say about it. Yeah. And I can only hope that once this episode airs, that it will continue this discussion and that other individuals can maybe find some support with each other and their individual stories. Right. We apologize. We got so many comments back and we just scratched the surface of what was right was mentioned to us. I mean, I will say one person said, turning 65 and really just embracing my feminine side. Again, mm-hmm. never too late. Then mm-hmm. on the flip side, we had somebody who said, I've been hiding and thinking about it for 30 years, but I'm not 50 yet. Hopefully I can be a part of it too which of course you could be a part of it. We'd love to hear your thoughts about how you feel about it. We are such a vast community. And the biggest problem we, meaning somebody like me, faces is that because we're not necessarily transitioning, because we don't feel we are in the wrong body, we are still this massive underground that is not in full light. And until we are in full light, it's going to be a struggle. There are so many champions out there that talk about their transness, talk about transitioning. Um, Jonathan Jonathan Van Ness, uh, just watching the Curious With show. Yeah, I watched that too. Oh my God, I cried. Cried. Did you see the the gender diverse? Yes. Episode Episode three. Yes, I cried. I even reached out to both Jonathan and Avak about the the conversation they had at Stonewall. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. It comes to the heart of who we are. And when you see Jonathan near tears, listening to other people's experiences, because either they were so hard or because it was so resonant to how they felt, that's how I felt. I felt these yeah. are people who understand my journey. And like you said, find your community, find those people who can support you and tell you their stories. So you know, you're not alone and know you can be proud of who you are. I think we should do a whole episode on that episode. I think so too. I mean, we we need to wrap up this episode, but if you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't seen, was it Jonathan Van Ness? It's uh, Curious with Jonathan Van Ness on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's episode three. Definitely check it out. And yeah. it, it may be something that you'll be hearing more and more about as we discuss it further, Savannah and I offline, and we may bring it back as, as a total episode. But we just wanted to say thank you so much for listening and to all of our later in life coming out stories. Thank you so much. We appreciate you adding to this episode. We always want to hear from you no matter what topic we're discussing. And we just really appreciate the feedback and so much love to all of you as you enter this next phase in life with so much heart, so much truth, and we love you. Yeah, we do. And just before we wrap up, and you are amazing, by the way, my glorious co-host. I appreciate you all the time. (laughs) Um, Just let you know and let listeners know every Wednesday, new episodes. Uh, We will continue to either elicit conversation and comments and show ideas from you. Um, We are all about it. We are so proud of all the people who did reach out to us and interacted with us on this topic. And we apologize that we weren't able to get to everybody, but we do appreciate everybody who did add a comment. So thank you so much. So without further ado, we love you. We hope you have a great week and we will see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Bye for now. Until next time. You can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or at Living With Crossdressing and on Instagram at Savannah Hawk. Remember, that's H-A-U-K. And to learn more, go to my website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fox and Hanger or at Julie MTF Style, as well as on our website at foxandhanger.com.
Julie, it's your moment. <gasps> the Fox and the Phoenix podcast uses anger. Copyright 2022. Yes, nailed it. If you enjoy our content and want to make it easier for others to find us, please share with your friends. Tap the subscribe or follow button to the show wherever you're listening. Give it a five-star rating or leave a review. And for show ideas or comments, contact us through the podcast on Facebook at Fox and Phoenix Podcast or on Instagram at the Fox and the Phoenix Podcast underscore.